The Talk of the Street is brought to you by Donahue Solicitors, an award-winning firm of expert compensation claims lawyers. Donahue Solicitors represents claimants throughout England and Wales in their civil actions against the police, data breach, personal injury, and professional negligence claims. To start your compensation claim, go to www.donahue-solicitors.co.uk or call 08000-124-246 today. Um, sorry, uh, we've not met yet. Oh yeah, ma'am, this is Chesney. Ches, this is my ma'am, Bernadine. Ma'am, this is Chesney, the quad father. Him? Well, he doesn't look like he could knock the skin off a rice pudding, let alone anything else. I'll have to take your word for it. Hello, Chutney. Nice to meet you. Chesney. Welcome to episode 61 of the Talk of the Street, an unofficial Coronation Street catch-up podcast that... Uh, I forgot to write my rambling little introduction again this week. I'm Gavin. And I'm a Luddite. You're a what? I'm a Luddite. Only I'm not really, because Luddites were a very specific kind of people who didn't like modern technology and were against a very specific kind of modern technology. And yet, also because... Language evolves, and things can mean different things. I'm also kind what of a luddite. Fuck are you talking about? I'm also kind of a luddite for saying that I don't meet the definition of a luddite. A luddite is somebody who doesn't like modern technology, or is is opposed to it. Which isn't you at all. Well, it kind of is because I've been listening to my record player all week. Oh, that's where we're going with that. <laughs> Jesus, you could have made that, you could have summed that up a little bit more succinctly, I think. I'm just shocked that you don't know what a Luddite is. I do. I was just curious as to why you thought you were one. <laughs> and I'm frankly, none the wiser. Because I'd rather listen to old vinyl than um, Apple music. It says a woman with her phone and her iPad in front of her. I just have my iPad over here to the side and my phone's in the other room. Ha ha ha. <laughs> hmm. Short week this week. Yeah, because we scintillating are. start this has been, by the way. Scintillating. <laughs> we are finally getting out of Dodge. We are indeed. So happy. So we're only so reviewing happy. Monday and Wednesday's episodes. Yes. Friday, we'll, we'll just have to wait. Yeah, we'll just roll it into next week. No mm-hmm. biggie. I don't really want to have a two-hour episode, though. <laughs> Maybe just very, very quickly. It'll be fine. Review Friday's episodes. But yeah, we've got Monday and Wednesday to talk about. Right. And you guys, this is going to drop on Friday morning. Is you it? have Fridays to look forward to, so Ooh. so check you guys out. Ooh. We shall be up north. Yes, we shall. In Michigan, when you say you're going up north, everybody knows what you're talking about. You're not going to Canada. You're just going to the UP. Well, we may go to Canada. Yeah, maybe, if we can sneak the dog in. Did you dig out the dog's rabies vaccination thing? Uh, well, I have his rabies tag, and I believe I know where the certificate is. Okay, so we can go to Canada with a dog. Yeah. I'm sure the dog would love Canada. 
He's mm. been really needy lately. Like he doesn't want He's to, always needy. to leave my side all day today. It's like, I know you don't have to pee, pal. And yet he's constantly insisting that he needs to pee. Because he's a dog. And he's needy. Good bit cooler in here tonight. Yes, thank goodness. I'm wearing a baseball cap. I'm, I'm wearing my... Your botanical gardens. My badass New York botanical gardens baseball cap. Check you out. <laughs> and a Michigan so, State t-shirt. I'm so middle-aged. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, shall we preamble, my dear? I'm wearing a USA t-shirt. So you are, with three stars in it. I'm patriotic. Merka. 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 I'm so, not wearing a hat. So shall we preamble, my dear? No, let's not preamble. <laughs> sure. Oh, go on, let's do it. <laughs> sure. Corey News. <clears throat> you always clear your throat. Yes. Like Corey News. Yes, I I'm do. I'm not sure why. Because it, it makes me feel more professional. I don't know. It's just a thing. Mm. <laughs> so, this week... Actress Jane Hazelgrove has joined the cast this as Gemma and Paul's mum, Bernie. However, long, long-standing watchers of the show might recognize her from when she was on the cobbles before in 1985 from January to August playing a young Sue Clayton. Sue Clayton. What Sue was Sue Clayton, Clayton all about? I don't know. I don't recognize the name. Apparently her first line was something to do with trying to figure out how to use a hi-fi record player. So it just all rolls back into one another. (laughs) (laughs) Josh, played by Ryan Clayton, will be returning to the show later this year. Why? I don't know. Hopefully he's gotten his sight back. I'm blind. I'm blind. <laughs> Apparently, that whole um, storyline with David's rape generated more than 200 complaints to Ofcom about it being inappropriate for for viewing on British television. And I've watched a lot of British television, and I'm sorry. That's like one of the least offensive things. <laughs> <laughs> you didn't see anything. It closed the bedroom door, and that was it. Absolutely, yeah. And Ofcom said that they're like it was tastefully handled. The show contacted a number of different organizations and worked with a number of different organizations to raise awareness and to do handle the whole thing tastefully. And you don't see anything, and it's not graphic. So stop complaining, you bunch of homophobes. <laughs> Because uh, I haven't seen anything. I I looked and I checked and I haven't seen anything about over 200 complaints on any of the rape storylines that deal with young women on the show. So it's just it's just when dudes get raped that people get up in arms, apparently. I'm trying to think of when the last rape storyline was. Bethany. Oh, yeah. Yeah. So I was like more than, more than a year ago. Yeah. Finally, you'll be happy to know that 
Corey is working with the Salvation Army on a campaign to raise awareness on human trafficking. The Salvation Army has been... Uh, uh, apropos of nothing. Well, the Salvation Army has been um, very helpful in um, the storyline, which will be continuing next week, about Alina. And um, the actress who plays Alina met with a number of people who have been saved from human trafficking through the Salvation Army before starting the role. So we're just coming out and saying that this is a human trafficking story now? I think everybody knows that this is a human trafficking story. I don't think I'm spoiling anything by saying that this is a human... I, and apparently next week is when it all kind of explodes. So I'm not going to tell you how it's going to explode. That's just kind of spoiling it a little bit. Yeah. So it's happening next week. Yeah. So the um, campaign to raise awareness is meant to help the public spot signs and report suspicions in their communities of human trafficking in their communities because apparently it's a big problem in Europe as well as in the States. It's pretty sad, but well done, Corey, for, you know, working with these organizations to, uh, to handle these situations in the show appropriately and also do your part to help raise awareness and make the world a better place a hat tip to you <laughs> coronation street well done coronation street yes so that's cory news our mailbag chloe from nova scotia <gasps> whoa that's also in canada yes i know she dropped us a line Thanks for the fun podcast, she says. I've been watching Corey for years and I can't remember the last time I was so frustrated as I am now with this factory roof nonsense. If Gary doesn't get caught soon, I'm going to go to Weatherfield, take the Knicker people hostage in the community centre and not release them until justice is done. <laughs> she said Knicker people? Harsh but fair. Yes. <laughs> I love it. I love thank, it. Thank you, we have. We have we have started something with this whole knicker people thing. Well, there's now three people in the world that they call them the knicker people. <laughs> Hindsight Corner. A blue, 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 blue. I couldn't remember the role that Sybil Soft Focus Shepherd played in Moonlighting. She was Maddie Hayes. Okay. Not jog any memories for you? No, I was too young to watch Moonlighting. Really? Yeah. I remember it quite vividly, apart from I, I mean, I Sybil Shepherd's name. I was under 10, and it was fair, It came on fairly late at night, so... I watched an episode of it the other day. Has it helped? Does it hold up? No. No. <laughs> no. Hmm. Hmm. Yeah. Well, if only, if only, uh, if only Sybil Shepherd and... and Bruce Willis had gone on to have thriving acting careers afterwards. Oh well. What? I'm 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 be I'm trying to be funny. Oh, try harder. Sybil <laughs> <laughs> Shepherd didn't have much of a career after that. Yeah, she did. She had a she had a she had another show with what's her name, who's on the uh, Good Fight now, who also played um, Leonard's mom on Big Bang Theory. And I know her name, Christine Blakely. I don't know. Sounds like she's done a fantastic job. Then, when you can't remember the name of the show or the name of the co-star. 
Yeah, but yeah, well done, Sybil. She's also done other things, so Bruce Willis did though. He really went on to big things. Yes. The Die Hards. Yes, our favorite Christmas movie. Yeah. Die Hard. Yeah, uh, lethal weapon for me. Well, yeah, it goes Die Hard then Elf. For me, and then Santa Claus is coming to town and Rudolph and and Frosty. Although the last time I watched Elf, I realized that there are, there are things that occur in Elf that haven't aged well. But you enjoyed it when you watched it the first time. Yes. And like well, the first five times. Keep a hold of that memory then. Yeah. Yeah. Forget the shower scene. What you drinking? Kombucha. Excellent. Shall Turmeric. we dive in? Turmeric. Oh. Tantric turmeric. And what are you drinking? Yeah. Non-alcoholic beer. Yay! Bush. Bush. N-A. Bush. <laughs> let's, that's, that's the let's, commercials let's get... for Bush beer, you know, they used to like... I don't think I've ever seen one. Bush. Head for the mountains. Head for Bush beer. Head for the mountains. I don't know why beers in America are all mountain-focused or horse-focused. The water from the mountains. Yeah. I guess. There you go. All right. Question asked, question answered. <laughs> Shall we dive in, my dear? Yes, please. Our first storyline is Gary the haircut. <sighs> on Monday, Imran sees Gary on the street. He's surprised to learn that Gary was kept in the cells overnight and tells Gary that without evidence or witnesses, it's going to be hard to prove his story. And this seems to give Gary an idea. And suddenly, he needs to go. He has places to be. Mm-hmm. Imran looks like he's starting to smell Gary's farts a little bit. Mm-hmm. We then see Gary uh, in, How? in broad daylight. How? Rummaging around the factory. What? And he takes off a rubber glo- a rubber glove and takes it off into a plastic Ziploc bag, careful not to touch the glove with his ungloved hand. The glove is covered in factory DNA. Ooh, it's it's like paint or something. Supposedly anti-vandal paint or something, yeah. Oh. T- he really is a pathetic villain. I don't know. I, I, I don't understand. Now Gary has the keys to Rick the Chin's house. Ooh. And he walks in and grabs Rick's jacket from the uh, coat stand. <gasps> and he smears it with the factory DNA. What? Then Sharon comes in. <gasps> She's been upstairs packing for Kelly. What Ooh. the fuck are you up to, she says. Why is she packing for Kelly? Is she Kelly's mum? No. She quickly assesses that Gary's trying to frame Rick Why? for the roof collapsing. Why would she be packing for Kelly? It doesn't make any sense. Gary insists that Rick was responsible and the only reason he's doing this is because Rick did it and he's the one, Gary that is, is the one that's getting the blame. The problem is, says Sharon, I was with Rick when the roof collapsed and she knows it wasn't him. She, yep. t- she takes out her phone to call the police and then Gary just confesses. He killed Rick the chin. And he describes... Graphic detail how how he did it. Right. With the rock. Yes. Ugh. Mm. Yeah. All it takes is Sharon saying, that's it. I'm calling the police for Gary to confess the whole thing. And all it takes is for Gary to confess the whole thing to get Sharon to not call the police. I thought Gary was going to kill Sharon. That, I'm a little disappointed that didn't happen. That would have been a better That would have been events, much yes. better. <laughs> it it would have furthered his villainy and not been stupid. Not that I want Sharon dead, but it would have made more sense. Right. What is going on? 
why is why is why is this why is any of this what is going on <laughs> not sure what the question is you're asking <laughs> i just don't understand it's so who, who am i it's so bad it doesn't make any sense. It would have been amusing, if nothing else, for Gary to kill Sharon, because then that's another body he's got to dispose of and go back to the same <laughs> shallow grave and meet the same people walking the same dog and come up with the same excuses. Either this, that this or, like, of... try to frame it like that Sharon died in, in Rick's apartment and that Rick killed her, even though he's already dead and he's disappeared well before. I don't know. I don't know how that would have worked, but it would have worked better than what we got. Right. Is what I'm trying to say. Sharon can't believe it. She figured it would be the other way around, that Rick the Chin would kill Gary. Right, yeah, yeah. because yeah. every other time that they've gotten into a confrontation, Rick has beat the crap out of Gary. Gary's had so much jam in his face. Rick has beat the crap out of Gary. This yeah. doesn't make any sense. Thank okay. you, Sharon. Gary explains exactly what happened. The shallow grave, the attack with a shovel, he grabbed a rock and slammed it into Rick's head. He was only stunned. Gary could have ran, but Gary smashed it into him again and again until he's dead. He had to stop him. Yes, because he would have kept coming after me, after Sarah, blah, Chilling. blah, 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 blah. Gary makes the case that he'll continue to fund Kelly's life and pretend it's coming from Rick the Chin. She'll think her dad is alive and out there somewhere, but if he gets bound up, well, that's not going to happen. Yep. Gary thinks it's a perfect solution. Uh, Sharon's worried that the police will now want to speak to her and Gary urges her to lie for Kelly. She should claim she didn't know anything about it. He'll never be free from this guilt. But this comes down to Rick. If it wasn't for him, he'd never have had to do this. Or something. Oof. Sharon is still unsure, so Gary offers her 15 grand to keep her mouth shut and despite his best efforts, she barges by him and gets away. He just lets her walk out. The, the super villain. Right, yeah, the supervillain lets this woman walk out. This woman who knows the truth now, who has heard him confess, who has already threatened to go to the police, who has turned down, briefly, his offer of 15 grand. It doesn't make any sense. None of this. None of this makes sense. <laughs> it's all dumb. Gary's sitting in the community garden when Beckett, who seems to be expecting him to be there, approaches him. They've been to Rick the Chin's house again and they found some interesting evidence and they ask him to come down to the station for a chit-chat and Nick and Leanne see him getting driven away in the cop car. So at the station, Beckett reveals that they found Rick's jacket covered in factory DNA. Funny, they've already searched the house and found nothing and she sarcastically suspects that they must have missed it. Gary is yeah. way too confident. Right on the counter, just sitting there, his yeah. jacket on the counter. He's way too confident and he tells her to charge him or let him go. She would love to charge him, but another witness has, after a fashion, corroborated his story, so he's free to go. Enjoy your freedom, Beckett says. While you can. And for the time being at least, Gary's got away with it. I can't say it enough. What? <laughs> Who? Why? I don't... Ah! Later in the van, <laughs> Gary hands over the cash to Sharon. And he offers her a job with him. He wants to help people, not destroy them. This would be different than how it was with Rick, he says. And Sharon thinks that he's being unbelievably naive. Yes. Give it six months and he'll be just as bad as Rick. Correct. She warns him to keep looking after Kelly or there'll be trouble. Mm -hmm. And then she gets out of the van. Yep. 
Then Toya and Imran turn up to apologise to Leanne and Nick. Nick and Leanne briefly give them both a hard time, but they quickly put it behind them. That's the nice. sisters hug and make up, and Imran Aww. wants to know if there's anything he can do to help. And Nick tells him, get the fucking drinks in. Correct. Oh, I know it's correct. No, I'm, I'm just, I'm, I'm, I'm your hype man. Oh. You're, are you? <laughs> yeah. You're a bit screechy. <laughs> so what's that what a hype man is? <laughs> just, just screaming random questions. <laughs> no, <laughs> just saying that things don't make sense. <laughs> but then I'm corroborating your, there's, there's not much for me to say. About this bit, because this bit more or less makes sense and is nice. And I like the fact that the sisters are no longer fighting. Okay. Gary comes into the rovers and for some reason he stands next to Imran, Toya, Nick and Leanne. Yeah, because he's stupid. They waste no time in calling him a liar and telling him he should have gone to the police straight away. He says he was scared for his life, but no one believes him. But at least this time he manages to get a drink before they chase him out. Gary just wants to get past this. Imran says Rana's dead because of him and he helped cover it up. They want him out and Jenny thinks he'd better leave. So he finishes his beer and he does so. So Gary's in the van counting a wad of cash when one of his imbecile customers comes in. He's late and he's short with his payment and he tells Gary to chill. He'll get his money and then he goes and just leaves the van. Gary is angered by this and grabs him and throws him up against the side of the van. He wants pay tomorrow or he'll fuck the guy up good and proper. The guy agrees and scuttles away, leaving Gary to see himself in the wing mirror of the van and realise that Sharon was wrong. It didn't, no, no, ta- no. it didn't take six months for Gary to turn and wreck the chin. It took six scenes. Yes. Also, his hair's stupid. But we knew that already. I've been complaining about Gary's hair forever. But Gary's hair point, has been awful before Adam's hair was awful. He seemed to realise it, though, this time. Like, oh my God, my hair is awful. That was the expression he was given. Oh, okay. I need I need to go to the barbers. Oh, wait. David's in prison. More or less because of me. No, not really. And Marie will do it. Come on. On Wednesday, Gary's all suited and booted and looking more like Rick the Chin than ever. He's on the phone to that imbecile customer, warning him again that he needs to pay today, and he checks his own reflection in the door window again. Yeah, we, we, we get it, Coronation Street. You can move on from this. Yes, his hair's stupid. We get it. <laughs> so, so Gary meets the imbecile. He doesn't have the money, but he has something in the van that he hopes Gary will take his payment, and it looks like shitty old furniture. It's not shitty, though. But Gary wants paying. The dumbass can stick his shitty old furniture but it's not up shitty. his arse. Right. Up his arse. Up his arse. But it's not shitty. Because there's some really good pieces in there. He insists it's worth more than what he owes, and Gary tells him to sell it himself and give him the money, but the bloke says that he's going into the hospital, and he begs for another chance, which Gary gives him, and then the bloke gives him the van, which he says is worth 300 anyway. Gary says if he can't make enough money from these sales, he will hunt the boy down. But what Gary seems to forget is that without a valid V5 certificate, that van is unsellable through legitimate channels. Well... I don't think Gary cares about legitimate channels anymore, does he? Well, he, he can't sell it. Yeah, but maybe the, the maybe the bloke's already signed the title over to him. No, nah, he just handed him the keys. Well, maybe the title is in the glove box. Or maybe it isn't. We'll just have to see. Or maybe he'll use the van to find more furniture to sell later on. Kev is helping Gary unload the van. Kev's involved in this now. He's been watching these antique programs and he thinks at least one of the pieces would go for 600 Yeah. He thinks Gary should start his own furniture business and he can do so from the old garage. Yep. 
Gary calls Kev a genius. Yeah, it's a really nice mid-century modern piece with uh, legs similar to that Lane cedar chest that I was so hyped about a couple of weeks Helen ago. Helen is talking about furniture. Because it's... it. My life kind of dovetailed into the storyline very nicely this week because I recognized that that piece was worth an awful lot of money as well. I was like, oh, thank you, Coronation Street, for giving me a lovely piece of mid-century modern furniture to look at. So Gary meets Izzy in Roy's Rolls and gives her a wad of cash to buy herself a new wheelchair. She wonders where the cash came from and he tells her that he sold some old furniture and has a source to get some more to sell. Kev's letting him use the old garage. But Izzy doesn't believe it's legit or that Gary knows the first thing about selling furniture. After the way he's been acting recently, can he blame her for not trusting him? Question mark. Apparently he can. I like that Izzy's kind of standing up to him and and giving reading him the riot act here and everything. Although she does eventually take the money for her wheelchair because yeah, she, she does says, need a new one. I'm going to take this money. But then but, that's it. But... Don't you be coming back here. And so, you can't live with us anymore. Well, yeah. As he says that she's not Sarah, she won't put up with us. She needs regular maintenance. <laughs> Money-wise. Uh, she <clears throat> she casts up the factory and how difficult it is to look at the knicker people in the eye. She's done with all the lying and the scheming. She doesn't trust them no more. She wants them to move out. Yes. She's got to think of uh, their wee boy. Whatever his name is. Starts with a J, doesn't it? Yes. Like Jake. It's Jake. Jake. It's Jake. Because Jack is Kev's kid, and Harry is oh, Sarah's that's true. kid. Jake and Jack's a bit Jake too close Jack. together, isn't it? Pretty close. Yeah, that's probably why we never see Jake, except in rare occasions. Right. So that's the end of that storyline for this week. Ugh. Until Friday. Yeah. I'm sure there's going to be something stupid on Friday. What do you think uh, Gary's going to turn his hand to next now that he's a furniture salesman? I don't know, maybe he'll uh, start telling other people that he'll take payment in furniture. And maybe maybe he'll go legit. It's nice of Kev to give him the old bit of the garage to sell furniture in. And it's nice that Kev knows something about old furniture. That's, I, I that's don't want handy. my villains to go legit and sell furniture. I really don't want that to happen. He's not really a villain, so it doesn't really matter. He's not even close to being villainous. I know he killed a dude, but that was self-defense. And I know he caused the factory roof to collapse, but that was just dumb luck. At Rob Hall, uh, 1984, or at Rob underscore Hall, 1984, uh, put on Twitter today, Gary's getting like a Simpsons character, a different job each episode. Right. Soldier. Builder, labourer, bodyguard, gym instructor slash manager, cook slash kitchen assistant, delivery man, debt collector, loan shark, and now a furniture salesman. Tinker Taylor Soldier Spy. To which I said, my favourite was when he went into space, followed by the five <laughs> or six times he became a rock star. <laughs> oh, yeah. He does kind of look like a Simpsons character with that stupid hair, which is so stupid. <laughs> <laughs> Next storyline tonight. Have we finished talking about that one? Gary's hair is stupid. Where okay, we, now I'm done. Where we go? Oh, yeah, we, we talked. I it's, guess we talked about it a little bit. Yeah. It's, See, it's, next, next, he's going to become an astronaut. This isn't working. Yeah. This Gary not. is a, is it's, a villain. It's not working. It's not. It needs to end. And it's not going to because 
They're invested too much, aren't they? Well, let's talk about Maria and Ali then. Oh, all right. On Monday, Ali bumps into Maria and asks her if she wants to go for a lunch later, but Maria declines. She already has another date. That's three in a week, observes Ali, and Maria, quite understandably, takes the hump at this. Yes. Ali's drowning his sorrows at Rovers, ignoring the fact that Emma's totally hitting on him. She turns her back on him to stock the fridge or something and comes up out and asks him out, but he's gone and she has to pretend to Chesney that she was practising for a play. Yes, that seems to be her go That seems to be a very go-to excuse for people. Right. <laughs> Cobbles who end up talking to themselves. Maria's on her new date with Anthony at the Bistro. He quickly reveals that his last girlfriend died in tragic circumstances, <laughs> as did his girlfriend before that, and the one before that. And he kept the ball bearing that that one tripped over all to the her ex- death. All the ex's names ended in an A. So Maria's date is going on monotonously about his ex-girlfriends and how they're dead and that. He develops a bit of a cough and goes off to the bathroom. Michelle comes over and Maria's quick to point out that this guy is another loony who is either unlucky or a serial killer. Right, and she's been waving this napkin to try to get <laughs> Michelle's <laughs> attention. Funny. And despite this, she doesn't feel she can abandon the date. But then a light fitting falls off the wall, nearly taking her head off. And she changes her tune and literally runs off. Yes. And then into Alley on the street, making her fall to the ground in a campy kind of way. And, and twisting her ankle. Twisting her ankle in the, into the bargain. Yes. Then back at the flat, Ali has applied an ice pack to Maria's leg as she fills him in on another disastrous date. Ali's keen to help her put a bandage around her foot, but she insists that she can do it herself. And this puts Ali's nose out of joint. He invites her to continue blaming him for her love life, but he wants no further part of it. And he bids her a good day. I said good day, sir. Why is, why is Ali being an asshole to I said her? good day. Oh, okay. Well, because he he wants to help her and she's kind of... Capable of helping herself. Pushing her, pushing him off like, no, no, no. It's not easy wrapping your own ankle. She should let him help. He's a doctor, for God's sake. Well, he's a Trainer. trainee doctor. Thing. On Wednesday, Maria catches up with Ali and apologises for being a cow yesterday. Maria's off to join a nunnery, she says, and Ali asks her out again, but she thinks it's not a very good idea. Then Alia and Ryan are in the rovers and they've noticed that Maria and Ali's longing looks with each other and Alia wonders what they can do to make them a thing. So then Maria gets a text from Alia at Speed Dial. She's won a free lunch. Woohoo! And Ryan has got Ali over on the pretext that someone was dying. <laughs> they quickly realise what's going on. This is a setup, and it isn't awkward at all. Ryan. Ryan was pretty funny. Somebody's dying. Come quick. <laughs> Michelle comes at the speed dial to complain to someone about something. She spots Ali and Maria together and is instantly furious. Yeah, weirdly. Because of a throwaway line from earlier where Maria said that she was only interested in rich men that she could fleece. Michelle. Yeah, but as a joke. She says this as a joke after the whole disastrous date number three. And it was obviously a joke. And... Ali's not rich, and he's not going to be for quite some time. Well, it's quick to point that out, but Michelle accuses Maria of doing that with Ali. So stupid. Maria tries to point out that she was merely joking, obviously. If she said that she wanted to date a Nobel Prize winning footballer, would would Michelle have believed that? And Ali says, what makes you think I'm rich? Uh, (laughs) Seriously. trainee GP. Right. She tells Michelle that she always gets overprotective about Ali, just like she did with Carla. 
she's had enough of this fucking family and she storms off telling Ali that she's not that into him anyway. Then Ryan has a word with Michelle, tells her that she's a stupid cow and Ryan and Ali didn't think Robert was such a fucking catch either. Maria and Ali are lovely people and deserve to be happy and he sends her off to patch things up with Maria. In the street, Michelle makes up with Maria saying that she's wrong, which according to her, she never is. Well, she never, she never admits to it. It's kind right. of what she's implying because, as Michelle. Of, as we know, she's wrong quite a bit. She's almost permanently wrong when it comes to Robert. Yikes! Maria accepts the apology and says it would never have worked anyway due to the age difference, and they go for a brew. But Ali has overheard this entire exchange from across the street. And he looks a bit upset about this. Right, yeah. Well, it's it's nine years, but it's it's not that big of a deal, the age that they are. He's 27, she's 36. Yeah, that's not a big deal. At all. She doesn't really look 36. No. She looks younger than him. Yeah, because he's always broody and moody. Frowning. Yes, which makes him look... Chin. You know, 10 years older than he is. So Maria meets Ali in the Rovers later and they compare notes about Michelle and Maria seems to be about to start something where she's about to maybe ask Ali out when the DJ woman from another storyline comes along and she and Ali are off into town. Ali introduces Maria as his auntie. auntie. Oh God, that was so painful. There's nine years difference, he says. She probably sees me as a kid. And off they go, leaving Maria to huff alone. And I think she realises that yeah. Ali must have overheard. And, and and Kirk very nicely asks if she's okay after, you know, Ali makes a big deal about her being old. So just when it looked like we were finally going to get these two together. Oh. Yeah, this is going to be... Maybe resolved on Friday? Maybe? No. It's going to take a couple of weeks to finally get them together. But it's nice to see that Ryan and Alia are, are pretty much a done deal. That's good. Is it weird that Michelle is more overprotective of Ali than Ryan? Yes. And last week you were sure that Michelle would be fine with us. Yeah, well, that's because I have more faith in Michelle than I should. <laughs> because... I, yeah. That'll learn you. But now she is okay with it when she realizes that she has this weird fixation on Allie. Do you think it's because she raised Ryan and Allie was out in the world with, with these other parents? And so, and so all of the kind of overprotectiveness of motherhood that she should have felt for Allie, she never really got to. Yeah, she's making up for... She's trying to make up for... All the lost time and stuff. Right. That's got to be it, right? I assume it's, so. What else can it be? Right, because as... Because she doesn't give a flying fuck of it, Ryan. Really, so she like, doesn't. She, she really doesn't. She's not overprotective of Ryan at all. In fact, she was quite keen to have him and Allie hook up. Alia. Alia, yeah. Not Allie. That would be... No, 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 no. That no, would no. be... We, we skirted be, around this. Would we that skirted, be incestuous? No, 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 no. We skirted around about this when this was a rumour. Remember this was oh, a rumour? Oh, I remember when this was a rumour. <sighs> That's hilarious. I'm so glad that didn't happen. Oh, I know. Supposedly, there's a conspiracy theory online now that Rick the Chin is still alive because you don't get to see the body. He's dead. 
He's got to be dead. Yeah, he wouldn't have been gone for this long if he was still alive and able to scrape his way out of a grave. <laughs> no. Yeah, he's gone. He did. R.I.P. Rick the Chin. <laughs> Rick the Chin. Rick the Chin. <laughs> Aged 42. His chin was 56. <laughs> he is. His His surviving relatives are a daughter named Kelly... And Susan the plant. <laughs> Our next, well, yeah, I, this is going to happen though. It's just going to be. Yeah, it's yeah. just going to take forever. Our next story tonight: Roy's wiring. This is, I think, the third week that we've been talking about Roy's wiring. Yes. On Monday, and, and using it as a double entendre. Yes, as a euphemism for other things. Oh. Yes. On Monday, Roy is cleaning up in the Roy's rolls. He has a miner's lamp strapped to his head and is listening to the same radio show that Evelyn was listening to last week yes. about complaints and that. Yes. In comes Mary, ignoring the closed sign. And then along comes Mary. She's brought tea for him and congratulates him on speaking out for sticking it to the man. And Roy hasn't the first clue what the fuck Mary is talking about. She explains there's a bunch of posters all over town warning people of that dodgy electrician, Larry. Roy claims no knowledge. And then we hear... And his brother's mowing curly. Then we hear Evelyn on the radio complaining about Larry. The DJ cuts Evelyn off and goes to another song. And meanwhile, Roy is mortified by this. <laughs> then Michelle... Is he, is he mortified or is he also kind of a little touched? Oh, no, I just thought he was appalled. I think he's appalled, but I think he's a little touched as so. well. Yes. Michelle's in the corner shop complimenting Evelyn on her... El- electrician call to the radio show that it turns out everyone now listens to it's like Frasier yes everyone listens to Frasier everybody in, in Seattle, Seattle listens to the Frasier Craig show he's recognised on the street even though it's a radio show I recognise that voice are you Dr Frasier Crane well, well, well yes, yes, I, yes I am how many people do you know who <laughs> listen to talk radio or phone in shows well I listen to I listen to NPR. That kind of counts, doesn't it? I used to listen and, to Five Live all the time. And everybody listens to podcasts now, and that's technically more or less talk radio, only in pod form. But everyone's listening to the same one. Yes. This well, stupid. You and at least three of your friends listen to the Atletico Mints, and like five of us all listen to Pod Save America, and I, I'm constantly seeing people wearing friend of the pod t-shirts when i go to protests and stuff huh so if you think about it a lot of people do listen to kind of the safe stuff and lots of people listen to npr because npr is pretty much the only sane thing to listen to anymore i'm not sure that's the same as just listening to weird talk radio local yeah but talk radio is more of a thing in in the UK, isn't it? Like um, Five Live and stuff. Actually on the radio. I don't think it's that popular, I think. Uh, it's only weird nerds like you. Yeah, just news junkies, I think. Mm. What was that other one that I started listening to recently? That's not Pod Save America, but something similar to it. Pod Save the World? No. Love it or leave it? No. Chapel Trap House. I am unfamiliar with it. Chapel Trap House make from their Patreon every month. One hundred and eighty thousand dollars. This is why we need a Patreon. Not that we would ever make that much. I don't think much. we have the, unless we have unless Canadian Helen has one hundred eighty thousand dollars a month. 
<laughs> Chicken stump up. And also uh, those people who work for the Toronto Public Library. Or, yeah, Toronto. Yeah, they could maybe maybe go have these on it. Yeah. 180,000. Every month. <sighs> we have a sponsor. <laughs> yes, we do. Anyway. And they're great. So, later, Mary's helping Roy with the clean-up. She says she should be more like Evelyn, fighting for noble causes. And Roy says that Evelyn is very good at fighting. In comes Larry the electrician, and he is not a happy chappy. He's accusing Roy of ruining his business. He blames Evelyn, but Roy backs her up. Yes, That means it must be you, says Larry. And he's about to lamp Roy when Mary shoves Larry away with a dirty mop to the face. Yes. Forcing him out, which was pretty funny. I love Mary. Back at home, Roy and Mary explain that Larry was pretty put out about the posters. Evelyn seems genuinely a little concerned that Roy might have been hurt, but Roy lied for her, which is against his nature. Which then, is very sweet. Then Ed pops in to see Roy. He can start with the rewiring today. A little bird has been whispering to Aggie and has paid a deposit on the work that was needed. Hmm. Ed cannot reveal who this little bird was. Hmm. <coughs> Evelyn. <coughs> so Evelyn is home. And Roy tells her about his conversation with Ed and how he suspects it was Tyrone who arranged this and paid the deposit. Huh. He says that he'll have to because pay Tyrone... Tyrone's running, rolling in the cash. He says he'll have to pay Tyrone back and Evelyn's appalled by this idea, calling it a slap in the face for Tyrone's generosity. In fact, she recommends not even mentioning it to him. That would be for the best. Yes, that would definitely be for the best. Mm-hmm. And it's clear to us that Evelyn is the one who paid the deposit. Absolutely. But does it look like Roy's twigged? What do you mean? That, that Roy knows? Yeah. No. Roy's kind of oblivious, isn't he? Yeah. Yeah, he is. So Roy, Evelyn and Tyrone are having a very pleasant dinner. And Ty <laughs> is happy that everyone is getting on with each other. Oh. Roy announces that he'll be moving back soon. And Evelyn's looking forward to getting the bathroom back. Uh-huh. Roy says that he'd be quicker getting out of it if she stopped moving his stuff. And she calls him anally retentive, but it's done in a full, pleasant way until they disagree with each other about Freud. Then down comes Ruby, it's so cute. looking for Roy to read her a bedtime story. Yes. So off he goes. Yay. And Ty thinks that Evelyn's being mean because he said she wanted a whole loaf of Roy. Yeah. But she denies us. But it's absolutely true. They're like they're like two kids. It's cute. Then on Wednesday, at the cafe, Ed has finished up ahead of schedule, much to Roy's pleasure. It wasn't as big a job as he thought, and they got some mates to pull an all-nighter. Yay. So something that was... Planned to take a couple of weeks. Yeah. Was done overnight. Eh. That's fine. Continuity means nothing on this show. You yeah. should know this by now. <laughs> yeah, pretty much. So, that's Roy's wiring sorted out. Well. Now, what about Roy's wiring? <laughs> <laughs> I love this. I. It's good again this week, wasn't long it? Long may it continue. Although it kind of seems like, like Mary was flirting with Roy a little bit there bringing him tea and everything and gushing about how brave he is. And she likes to help out. Yeah. She's a little gushy, though. He had a, he had a miner's lamp on. Yes, he did. That was hilarious. It's so cute. <laughs> I love Roy. I, I, I love Roy now that he's back to being Roy. Oh, he's 100% yeah. Roy now. Absolutely. Yeah. Long may he continue. And if I may, if we could have Roy Jr., A.K.A. Wayne back. That'd be nice too. Right. Yes, please. There's something of a campaign starting up to get him back into it. Absolutely. I saw something in the Corey blog, I think, this week. Uh They were making the case for getting Wayne Wayne back. back. 
Hashtag bring back Wayne. Our next story tonight is Paula's burgled house. Brackets again. Close brackets. On Monday, Jack is off to an appointment. It turns out that we've not forgotten he's lost a leg a few months ago. Kev's only gone in the range for him to get a sports blade, just like that South African murderer bloke. Oh, would you stop? What? And, and other, there are other athletes who have a sports blade, not just Oscar, what's his name, who killed his wife. Can you name any? Okay. <laughs> Jack has made up about this. There Cheers, Kev, says. Yeah, it's nice. It's cute. I love it. Paula, I, I love the sports blade. Then Paula turns up at Sophie's. It seems that her house has been broken into again. Yes, and she's very, she's very shaken up. Yep, she has nobody else to turn, and Sophie is sympathetic and tells Paula to come in for a brew. A cup of tea. Yeah. Sophie and Paula are at the bistro then. They chat briefly about the burglary at Paula's house, and Paula's actually quite dismissive about this now, blaming just pesky kids. Mm-hmm. Michelle comes over to check that everything is okay, and they tell her it is, but the moment that she's gone, Sophie starts moaning that her Caesar salad didn't have any anchovies on it, and she wonders why that they didn't complain. Typically, the anchovies are minced up really, really small and in tossed dressing. in the dressing so right. that people don't know that they're eating anchovies because people don't think that they like anchovies. Right. Because so because popular culture has been trying to tell us for like 50 years now that anchovies are gross, even though they're not. They're, not, they're, they're quite salty, though. Yes. They're, they're tasty. Right. So when you mince them up, then they're not quite as salty and... They're more tasty in the dressing. That's th- how you're supposed to have Caesar salad. I think I've only had maybe two Caesar salads in my life that had actual anchovies that you could see on the salad. And one of them was in St. Andrews. When I was when I was a waitress at um at Foxwoods in one of the restaurants, we we served a Caesar salad that had the anchovies on it. And typically people would just pick the anchovies off and put them to the side of the plate. Right. It's the only time I've ever seen, like, the actual anchovies. And I've worked in a number of different restaurants in my life and that served a Caesar salad. And I've eaten lots of Caesar salads. I'm okay with it being minced up within the salad. Yeah, me dressing. too. That's, that's the way it's supposed to be. But when I make it myself, I like to have a couple of wee cheeky anchovies thrown in. But you can't eat too many of them because they are so very salty. Right. So then half the tin goes to waste. Right. Or you feed them to the cats. Or do they keep, though? No, well, they're so salty, they they never go off. Yeah, that's what you thought about the uh, smoked fish that I got you the last time I was up north. That wasn't in any, that was just lying out. That wasn't in any kind of preservative, though. Oh, they're smoked. Yeah. It's preserved, I guess. Only not really. Not really. Yeah, that was a disappointment. Yeah. Well, we'll have to get more when we're up there next, this weekend. Why? So that you'll actually eat some and say, oh, this is delicious. I did eat some of it. It was delicious. Well, you ate the salmon. You didn't eat the white fish. That's too much of it. Michelle comes <laughs> over with a dessert menu and Sophie complains about the salad to her. Michelle claims that some people don't like anchovies. Well, they're not going to like Caesar salad because anchovies are in the fucking dressing, love. No harm done and they both order the chocolate tart. Michelle throws in some freebies and Paula is well impressed. Privately, Sophie goes through all the other shit that's wrong with the bistro. The portion sizes are wrong, there's no system, and frequently closes at a moment's notice. Paula says that Sophie... As does every single business on the street. Paula says that Sophie is wasted at the speed dial, she calls it. 
I completely forgot that Sophie still works at Speed Doll because it seems like Alia is really taken she's over there. there. She's never there. But she's the, she's the boss. She's like the business manager. Who knows? Paula calls her her partner. Where else would you go? They smooch and then they probably get their holes off each other. But we don't see it because then people would call in and complain. 200 people would complain. <laughs> <laughs> Quite a few other people would not. <laughs> <laughs> on Wednesday, Paul and Sophie have got up and they get caught downstairs by Kev. Paul apologises for not checking with them, but Sophie points out that it's her house too. Kev, mm, he doesn't look very happy about this. No. So he decides to have a word with Sophie in the kitchen later and it turns out, surprisingly, that he's not a big fan of Paula. It turns out, he points out, he points out that she's in her 50s. What business does she have shagging young Sophie, he says. And he reckons it was just a flash in the pan. They must want different things because they're so different in age. And Sophie insists that they're in love and Kev should just get used to it. Seriously, it's not like there are, you know, hundreds of lesbians on the street knocking down her door. Exactly. (laughs) Or even bisexuals like Paula. Paula is about to leave when Kev comes out and changes his mind. He wants Sophie to be happy so Paula can stay after all. She's about to get in a taxi and she sends it away. But as they're talking about this, a guy deliberately bumps into Kev and picks his keys mm-hmm. out of his pocket. Yes. Hmm. Hmm. I think this is one of those stories where I kind of wish that we were watching Friday just to see what was happening. Because presumably somebody's going to break into Kev's house now. Correct. I mean, we will watch Friday. We just haven't watched it yet. Because right. it's not Friday yet. Yeah. <laughs> so we'll find out eventually. Kev's reaction was very strange. I felt uh, he liked Paula. Did he? He was hoping to go out with her. Yeah, but, well, Remember maybe that's Sally was setting him up. Maybe, maybe I don't think he was even really that keen. Then it, I think he just went out with her to shut Sally up because Paula is. Very hoity-toity, and Kev is not. And I think that kind of rubs Kev the wrong way. Like, some of the conversations Sophie and Paula were having where they were using big words. Like, artisan. Artisan, <laughs> that Kev, yeah. Yeah, that Kev, who, you know, let's remember, is an expert in vintage furniture, doesn't know what artisanal means. Hmm. Artisan what, he says, while he's washing dishes? Artisa what? (laughs) A sphincter says what? Huh? (laughs) (laughs) You just said you're a sphincter. No, I didn't. I said, huh. I didn't say what. (laughs) Look at that. (sighs) Our next story (laughs) late tonight. I was a child. I was disappointed in Kev. Eh. It seems far more relaxed about this than they seemed... Eh. This week, I think it was kind of a character. I felt. Eh. He he doesn't he doesn't like uppity women. I think I think we know this. He needs his whole. That's what. <laughs> it is. Well, our next story is the unicorn party. <laughs> On Wednesday, Tim and Steve are throwing things at each other in the cab office. They're making plans for another unicorn party. Ooh. Then in comes Tracy, pissed off about having to drive that stupid cab. <laughs> And Tim and Steve are leading Tiny the Unicorn to a parking lot. It's another successful party. And then they spy Robert with Irish Tina. And they think that this is weird. 
Robert comes over and tells them that he's helping Tyler get a job or whatever. And uh, could you keep this under your hat? Tim and Steve agree and ask Robert to keep the unicorn under his. Which would be very difficult because of the pointy horn. Uh huh. Tracy catches Tim and Steve on the street with their gym bags. What's in the bags? And they tell her that they were at the gym. Smelly gym clothes. And a passing Robert seemingly backs this up. Yes. And then Steve, Tracy and Liz are at Roy's Rolls and Steve is buying a packet of beef and onion crisps. Tracy says, well, mine goes all that work you did at the gym. And Liz finds that the fact that Steve went to the gym. Hilarious. Utterly hilarious. And he says that crisps have protein in them. But then they look at the back and they do and not. He thinks there's actual beef in there. Right. That's That's cute. It's yep. cute that he thinks there's actual beef in those chips. Smoky bacon crisps in the UK are vegetarian. Cheese and onion crisps aren't. Right, because they have... Well, no, they're vegetarian, they're just not vegan. The no. cheese and onion. No, they're, they're not vegetarian. Really? Mm-hmm. There's like beef in There's them? some kind of animal product in there, yeah. Well, I, there's cheese, so but they're no, not no, vegan. But, but from a, a dead animal. Oh, okay. And, Know the difference between bacon and vegetarianism. Steve leaves as Adam comes in, and Tracy quickly pounces on Adam to hurry up and get Stevie's licenses back. Adam (coughs) doesn't say anything but smirks long enough to give Tracy and Liz a clue. Uh They suss out that he's already got his licenses. And Liz wonders well, if he's got his licenses, where's Steve been skiving off to every day? And Adam says, I can neither confirm nor deny. He just says nothing, just looks shifty and smirky. (laughs) <laughs> well done, Adam. Once again, proven for beads. <laughs> just so ill-equipped to be <laughs> a smirky. Lawyer. At home, Steve has just sat down with a big sandwich when Tracy sends him to the shops for milk. Can we talk about Adam's hair? <laughs> We've already kind of, kind of skirted around it by saying that Gary's hair is more stupid. Adam's hair. I don't think Adam's hair is stupid. I'm just, no. Just. It's, really surprised at how big it is. It's 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 majestic. I'm surprised he's not in the Lion King. I think his if he's the circle of life around his head, he looks he he in those in those pictures he looks like an extra in hair. There's pictures because of, of him the leather vest and the, from the sun. He's like he a was hippie. Out, he was out with. He's a dirty hippie. He was out with Mickey North, who plays Gary, and I think Jack P. Shepherd was there and. Windass. Some of the others. And he's wearing these kind of circular yeah, he's, shades. He's got his John Lennon glasses on and this long leather vest. And if you stuck, the biggest hair. If you stuck a top hat on him, maybe there'd have been a double for Slash. Well, a lighter double. Yeah, slightly lighter. If there is a uh, revival of hair in London anytime soon, they should cast him. Because... That's just, it's mighty. It's mighty hair. It's a bit on the nose, isn't it? Cast them in the hair. Well, because he was also wearing all the hippie clothes. Oh, okay. Yeah, it's still a bit on the nose, though. Hair. Grow so, it. Anyway, Show it. At home, Steve Long has just sat down with a... Grow it, my hair. Sorry. At home, Steve <laughs> has just sat down with a big sandwich and a cup of tea when Tracy sends him to the shops for milk. And when he's gone, Liz and Tracy find and go through his gym bag. <laughs> They find Lizzie's hair extensions, glitter paint, and a unicorn horn that looks suspiciously like a dildo. Well, they don't know it's a unicorn horn. They just they see think this, it's a dildo. Or a butt plug. 
More like. It looks more like a butt plug than a dildo. No. Yeah. Butt plugs are plugs. This doesn't really look like a plug. <laughs> it's like a really big plug for a really big asshole. So, well. <laughs> well. Think warm thoughts, Steve. <laughs> it's going long and it's going deep. Right. And Liz says something about pride, which is funny because pride's already passed. Pride's next month, she says. Which is weird because Pride in the UK is this month and Pride in the US was last month. Because mm-hmm. Pride in the US is related to the anniversary of the Stonewall riot. So Steve has rumbled. Yes, but, but rumbled for the for. wrong thing. They don't know what for yet. They think they think he's a drag queen, maybe? I don't know why he keeps that stuff in his bag. Can't well, he keep it at the stables now that Tim's in on it? Who knows? Mm. Maybe he's afraid Tiny will step on it or something. Why does Liz have white hair extensions? White and pink. I don't think those are really her hair extensions. That stuff they use on Tiny. She says that they look like hers, but I've never seen her with that shade of hair on her head. I don't recall. No. Still, this was... A hilarious scene. The timing was good. The reactions were good. It was just comedy gold yeah, it was pretty all funny. around. It was a favorite. I look of forward mine. to Steve getting caught. Yay. With his pants down. Tomorrow and next week, probably. Yay. Our next story tonight, our penultimate story tonight. Woohoo. Kirk's arse. <laughs> I hated this. I know you did. I hated this with a passion. I know you did. We've been wanting an Aggie story or we've been wanting Aggie and the Baileys back in it again for weeks. Aggie's finally in it. Yeah, we got Aggie in it this week. And that's a storyline that's about Kirk's arse. The boys are not in it this week, though, even though Michael is involved in this whole unicorn thing. Kirk sees Aggie in the rovers and he recognises her from the pharmacy. Plus, this is a really old gag. And I'm sure Kirk's done this before. You know, complained about something that he thought was a boil that turned out to be something else. Right, and also, but I mean, the whole talking to a medical professional outside of their business about something delicate—that's, I mean, that's a that's a gag as old as time. When I lived in Stirling, I went an old shopping gag. one morning in Sainsbury's, and I saw my GP, Doctor Ellison. Uh huh. I was like, "Oh, hello, Doctor Ellison. Didn't expect to see you in." Still in Sainsbury's, Mm because you live in Falkirk. Uh And he says, I can't go to Falkirk supermarkets, because if I do, I just continually bump into patients of mine who tell me about their bad backs and Uh all their ailments and stuff. That's too bad. So he has to go elsewhere to shop. I don't think I've ever bumped into one of my doctors on the street. Well, our doctors don't really live in Eaton Rapids. No. Well. So that'd be why. Yeah. So, I'm just good, good point. I'm, I'm just trying to think because I've had a lot of doctors in my time. Huh. Well, you continue to think about that, and I'll crack sure. on with us. Sure. So he recognises her from the pharmacy and wants to ask her a question. Aggie tells him to go stick a quid in the baby collection from another storyline <laughs> and fire away. He's having some problems of a personal nature around the back. Aggie thinks this might not be the right place to investigate. Whatever it was, Kirk scratched her with a fork earlier and he suspects he's just made it worse. And later, Kirk continues to badge Aggie to look at his arse and Beth, he says, won't go near it in case it's contagious. Aggie finally agrees to look at his arse in a booth in the pub 
<laughs> and she does so just as Ed and Beth walk in and catch them. But it turns out that it's just Kirk's label rubbing and Aggie has snipped it off. That's better already, says a moronic Kirk. I hated this. If he scratched it with a fork, he scratched it with a fork like on the outside of his pants. Because if he scratched it on the inside of his pants, he wouldn't have actually been scratching it. And he says that there was like a raised bump. Is, is this label in his undercrackers or is it in his jeans? And is he wearing the same jeans like more than once so that the label is rubbing? None of this makes any sense. And it's dumb. And this gag is older than vaudeville. So it's kind of lazy writing, but I was happy to see Aggie. It was just filling in some a spare five minutes to fill, I think. So what we're going to do? Well, let's have Kirk have a strange skin complaint again, right? Because wouldn't he? Wouldn't he complain to Allie, who was also in the pub at the time, who's an actual doctor, or just instead of a pharmacist, or just go to the doctor? Well, because if, if you're that bothered about it, just go to the doctor, and r- rather than approaching somebody who works in the pharmacy in the pub, just go to the doctor. Yeah, because it's the NHS. So it's not like you would have to pay for it. Anyway, our final storyline tonight is the quads. Yes, Queen. On Monday, Chesney comes out of the cabin and sees Gemma. He wants to talk about their living arrangements again, and Gemma doesn't want to talk about it, and she doesn't want to share a bedroom with him. She pretends to storm off, but once he's out of the way, she sneaks back into Dev's when Chesney isn't looking. Mm-hmm. Then Michelle spots Gemma working in the corner shop. She's wearing one of Rita's wigs. It's so funny. Evelyn told her it wouldn't work. Gemma's gutted and Chesney's going to go mental. In comes Chesney looking for a treat for Gemma and Evelyn pushes her head down so she hides behind the tinned vegetables. Evelyn is able to cover long enough to get Chesney out and she tells Gemma that she needs to tell Chesney the truth. But first, finish stacking those shelves, thanks. (laughs) Chesney comes into the rovers and Emma spots that he's loaded with sweet treats. He explains that he's looking for Gemma, and Emma reveals that she's now working at the shop. So that ruse because lasted course, nearly an entire episode. Because, because of course, that's how it was going to happen. Chesney that walks into somebody the, else just randomly just tells Chesney because, because Chesney walks into the shop and Gemma hides behind the counter. But it's too late, as predicted. He gives her a hard time for working three jobs. But what choice did she have? Right, seriously. He won't let her sell their story. And he promises it will think of something. And while he's thinking, Gemma says she'll keep on doing. Right, yeah, because he only has one job. He has two. What other job does he have? He mentioned besides... two. I can't remember. It was a it's chippy, a kebab the chippy shop? and the kebab shop. Well, isn't the chippy and the kebab shop the same thing? No. Where's the chippy? Nearby. It's the same thing. It's not the same thing. Because don't they give fish and chips at the... No. Where's the chippy? Nearby. <laughs> I've never seen this chippy. It's nearby. If you say so. I, I, I insist so. <laughs> and then he has to look after Joseph. Chesney's in the rovers discussing taking out a payday loan with Jenny, who thinks this is an appalling idea. And Absolutely. she nudges him down the path of taking some coin from the media who will be falling over themselves to print stuff about the quads. And realising that he has little option, Chesney seems to consider it. And later... Chess and Gemma are made up because Chess has spent five minutes setting up a crowdfunder for the quads. And Jenny has a secret dig about payday loans. Not my Chesney, says Gemma. Not my Chesney, she says. 
Correct. On Wednesday. Gemma and Chez. Oh, I've missed a bit. Uh-oh. Because Kathy comes... No, Yasmin comes in. Right. And says, I've got fantastic news for you. Yes. Tim's dad has had a word with some of his contacts. Apparently. And we're going to get you on that radio show that everybody listens to suddenly. Yeah, but not that one, a different one. It's not the same one. Not it's the not same it's one. not the one where people complain about yeah, things. Yeah, it was. It's the same they're moment. not complaining about things. That was just a feature. Yeah. That's dumb. It should be a different one. So So, Gemma, so Tim's dad who is a tit. <laughs> yes. And is a DJ in a hospital. Yes, contacts. Gets made fun of by quote unquote legit DJs like Ryan and his mates. Which remember remember the whole theft thing? Are we just forgetting about that? Theft thing. The theft thing of the stuff that got stolen from Yasmin. And they're accusing the DJs of taking when it was really Tim's dad. Right. Yeah, that storyline just kind of disappeared, didn't it? Nobody remembers this. What's going on with that? Well, it was kind of resolved. They thought it was the DJ guys. Right, yeah, but they haven't come to justice or anything. And we haven't, and they haven't found out that Tim's dad is a tit who stole things. Oh, they're never going to find that out. I hope they do, eventually. Eventually it'll come out, yes? Maybe? I don't know. Not anytime soon. Ugh. Anyway. Anyway. Supposedly Ch- he has contacts with, like, actual DJs in the real world that aren't in the hospital. Right. Huh. That's what, and, we're, that's what we're asked to and believe. Also, and also, Tim's dad, who is a tit and is a selfish asshole, who is only in it for himself in all things, is suddenly being nice about the quads and putting in contacts to help them out. Even though... I've never seen him exchange two words with either Chesney or Gemma. So Gemma and Chesney are getting ready for the radio appointment. <laughs> it seems the radio DJ is conducting the interview in their house and she's going to record it and then play it on air later. Ches is wearing a Who's the Daddy shirt. And the DJ that Gemma insisted he wear. Assumes the two of them are married and Gemma lets her believe this, thinking that they'll lose sympathy if she says that they're not. And Chesney grudgingly goes along with this. The DJ is enjoying Briefly. Gemma immensely, Chesney less so. He struggles to think of an anecdote about the pregnancy, so Gemma remembers to mention the crowdfunding thing. The DJ encourages support for Mr and Mrs Brown and Chesney Caves, admitting that they're not married after all. Gemma quickly insists, though, that they are together, and the DJ can sense the love in the room. And later, Gemma and Chesney go round to the rovers love. to listen to the show. That's baby farts. Everyone is listening and the DJ starts reading some of the listener comments, uh, who seem to unanim- who seem to unanimously unanimously sure think sure. that Chesney should put a ring on it. Yeah, because apparently we're living in the 1950s. On their way out, Ryan and Alia donate fifty percent off pizza for the baby collection for Gemma. They'll need their <laughs> carbs, he says. <laughs> but then Alia puts in actual money. Oh, did you? Yeah, oh, after Ryan. So while they're alone in the pub, Chesney wonders if Gemma ever wonders if things might have worked out differently for them. She misunderstands, and he has to spell it out. How about giving their relationship another go? He says that they were both from broken homes, they didn't know what a real family was, he wants better for his kids, he still loves her. And she says that she still loves him, 
and they're about to smooch when they're interrupted by Gemma's mum, and she's got a throat drier than Judith Chalmers' flip-flops. And she's got wings printed on the back of her sweatshirt. Later at a table, Mrs. Gemma hopes that Gemma won't give birth to an ugly baby. Gemma tells her that it's actually quads, and Chesney tries to introduce himself. Gemma introduces her mum as Bernadine and introduces Chesney as the quad father. <laughs> Bernadine, or Bernie, is shocked that Chesney had it in him and she calls Chesney Chutney. Right. Along comes Michelle with a bistro contribution to the fund. She listened to the radio show and thought it was hilarious. And Gemma says, I don't care what everyone says, I think you're dead nice. Which puts <laughs> Michelle right in her fucking place. Absolutely. Meanwhile, Bernie tells Chutney to sling his hook. She wants a word with her daughter in private. Thanks very much. Yes, her daughter Gemini. Yeah, she's Gemini and Paul is Apollo. That's correct. Because, of course, Gemini is the twins. And Apollo was also a twin. His twin sister was Artemis. So you'd think that Gemma and Paul would be Artemis and Apollo. But no, apparently Bernie can't even... Can't even do that right. Can't continue that metaphor. No. (laughs) Back at home, Chesney confesses to Kirk that he really wants to be with Gemma. She's the one for him, he says. Back in the pub, Jenny comes over and is quick to call Bernie out for standing Gemma up the other month. Remember Mm -hmm. when she was going to go away to live with her mum and she was waiting on that park bench? Right. For hours, for the whole day. Alone and pregnant. Bernie blames two dislocated kneecaps, but everyone knows that's bullshit. Gemma doesn't mind, and she asks if she can move in with Bernie, but Bernie is about to be evicted. Uh-oh. She wants to borrow the baby money, and she calls Gemma Gemini. Gemma is about to comply when Chesney comes in, and he's not pleased. To think he thought she'd changed, he scoffs. He explains that they can't give Bernie the money that was raised specifically for the babies, because it's for the babies. She can't have it. Bernie calls Chesney negative, and Gemma doesn't appreciate how Chesney's <sighs> treating her mum while Bernie talks about energy fields, the universe, magnets and stuff. Chesney is unconvinced and takes the money to put in the bank until the quads are born, and Gemma calls him a cheapskate. Then in an action-packed scene, Kirk advises Chesney to tread carefully where uh, Gemma's mum is concerned. The DJ lady comes in with another 513 quid to donate to the baby fund, and Paul comes into the rovers and is absolutely furious to see Bernie there. Gemma backs her mum up, and Paul storms off, warning her not to come crying to him when this all turns to shit. And Bernie calls him Apollo. And he yells, My name is Paul! Gemma's down in the dumps about her mum. Chesney goes over and tells her that Bernie can stay with him. He'll sleep on the sofa. She's so happy, she gets the drinks in. But she borrows the, a tenner from Chess to do so. Right. Then there's a funny scene with uh, introducing Billy to Bernie. And Gemma says that Billy and Paul used to... Boff. Yes. Oh. <laughs> and Billy, Billy doesn't disagree. No, no. And Bernie seems impressed that Paul was able to get in a sack with a preacher or something. Right. I don't know. It was weird and funny, I guess. So Paul comes back to the rovers to have it out with Gemma. He tells her that Bernie's already tried to get her mitts in the money. It started already. Gemma insists that her mum has changed, but Paul doesn't want to hear it, and he storms back out again. Paul's right. Then back at home, Bernie has had a shower and she's wearing a towel, and Chesney is making up the sofa so he can go to bed. When Bernie, she makes a pass at Chesney, who laughs it off and quickly hides under the duvet. Yikes. Well, if you change your mind, says Bernie, who looks longingly back at him as she climbs the stairs. And that's how we end this week's episodes. 
Yikes. What did you think of Bernie? Yikes. She couldn't be more Gemma's mum if she tried. Yeah. I expected Gemma's mum to be tougher. Because Gemma and Paul have kind of a tough veneer. You didn't think she was tough? She's like an old she's like an old hippie with the angel wings and the Gemini and the Apollo and the negative energy fields. I mean she's yeah, I guess. She's a she's a schemer and a conniver and a liar and she's only there for the money. Yep. But I didn't expect her to be so, you know, so much of a flower child. Oh, okay. So because they seem because Paul and Gemma don't seem like they are the children of a flower child. You know, in the way that other characters on other shows whose parents are, you know, aging hippies. You can tell that they're, you know. I'm going to have to cut out at least five of those, you knows. Yeah, I know. <laughs> Ooh. Shaky, shaky. Well, she'll be a child of the 70s, I guess. Bernie. Well, maybe late 60s. How old maybe. are How old are Gemma and Paul? They're younger than us. I think maybe mid-20s. Early to mid-20s. Gemma looks younger than Paul does. Yes, yes. Even though they're twins. Mm-hmm. Somehow. Paul does look older and acts older. He must have come out first. But they, yeah, they yeah, by several years. <laughs> Jeez, I could almost be their mum. Yeah, probably. It's next twenty-one. Oh, I don't want to think about it. I don't know. The uh, whole thing is, uh, uh, she's all right. She does. She's a she's disrupting. Not quite what I expected. She's a she's a disruptor in what is already quite a tentatively constructed relationship. Yeah, and the whole coming on to Chesney, that was That's, mm. was just gross. Yeah, it was, she was she was kind of bad enough before that happened and then it was just, oh dear. Mm, Yikes. I'm not really Yeah. Can you really imagine if my mum came on to you? Ooh, moment of the week. <laughs> <laughs> Tracy and Liz finding the horn. Oh, that was no, that was my joke about the whole... Are we done oh, talking about... The, yes. Okay. okay. <laughs> yes, my moment of the week is Tracy and Liz finding the horn. My moment of the week was Mary's mop to the face at Larry, but we had Roy last week and we can't yeah. have Roy this week again because no. it just feels like we're just always going to give it to Roy. Right. And this was pretty funny. Yeah. The, the looks on their faces when they were staring right. at the, the horn was, was, was pretty amazing. Like, it's... That scene could have gone wrong in dozens of ways, but both of them are competent actors, competent comedic actors, so that with every reveal, just the acting that they did with their faces was so good. Yeah, the timing was great. Yeah, they really didn't even, they barely needed to say anything, and they didn't say much you know it was all acting in the faces and that was really impressive and well done ladies they only said oh flipping heck when they looked at the right at and the, the glitter paint what huh 
Yeah, they, mm-hmm. they hardly said anything. It was yeah. pretty much all in their body language and their right, facial expressions. Right, in the faces and, yeah. the, and the reveal of each thing getting more and more... Outlandish. Yes. So that's our... Moment of the week. Moment of the week? The boring of the moment of the week week. I've got a couple of options. <sighs> Kevin and Gary talking about furniture, even though that's something that I like to do. Ed finished the rewiring sooner than expected. And Ryan put a 50% off pizza feature in our baby collection. You know what that scene reminded me of? Not to go back to The Simpsons. But one time on The Simpsons, Homer put like a 50% off coupon in the collection plate at church. <laughs> and and Marge gave him a hard time about it. And Homer said, Marge, we've been blessed. You know, like 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 he thinks that Marge is complaining because he's giving it's the too 50- much. Yeah, yeah, the coupon away. That, yeah, that sounded like it was uh, from a twenty-five-year-old Simpsons episode. Yeah, yep. and and it was. <laughs> okay, so the boring moment of the week is what then? Uh it's fine. We can give it to Ed. Ed finishing finishing the wiring sooner than expected. Sooner than expected. Not so. Boring moment of the week. A boring moment of the week. So a shorter episode this Yay. week. So it's 10.20ish. Let's go. Shall we just wrap this up? Absolutely. And jump in the car and Woo-hoo! hit the road. On the road again. Here are some basic instructions for those with a desire to get in touch with us. Our email address is thetalkofthestreet at gmail.com, which Reach coincidentally is also our Skype address if you want to leave us a voicemail and our PayPal address if you want to leave us a couple of bucks in our virtual tip jar. Please. We are at Cory Podcast on Twitter, Facebook and Instagram. We still need an air conditioner in here. And our blog is thetalkofthestreetpodcast.wordpress.com. Thanks for making it to the end of another episode. And, and I we need will be more back mid-century furniture. Next week. With more. Talk of the Street. Talk of the street. Bye. This episode was brought to you by Donahue Solicitors, an award-winning firm of expert compensation claims lawyers. Donahue Solicitors represents claimants throughout England and Wales in their civil actions against the police, data breach, personal injury, and professional negligence claims. To start your compensation claim, go to www.donahue-solicitors.co.uk or call 08000-124-246 today.